Please take out your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7 with me. Luke chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can download the app. Um, iTunes, Google Play Market, just search Bible. Or you can buy one at Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Christian Bookstore. If any of those don't work, stop by our Connection Center. We will give you one. It's important that you have a copy of God's Word for you to read. We believe this is truth and life, God's Word for us, for the way to to live, worshiping God and loving one another. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36 and going through verse 50. This is what the Word of God says. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we come to this account in the life of Jesus this morning. If you're not aware of first century Jewish religion, the story may not make a whole lot of sense to you because the word Pharisee may not mean anything to you. But let me just give you a quick uh, background on what a Pharisee was in that time. A Pharisee was a religious leader. Uh, In fact, they were among the religious leaders in first century uh, Judaism. 
they were looked to as some of the most righteous uh, and holy people around. In fact, uh, it would really be said almost that it was their full-time job to live a holy life. I mean, that was like their job, like, like they were expected. In fact, they wouldn't be expected to work. Their full-time job would be just to keep the laws and the commands that they were supposed to keep. They had enumerated over 600 laws and commands that were to be kept by, by, by good Jewish people. And so the Pharisees, their full-time job would be living that out, interpreting the law, sitting around, talking about uh, the law, and they'd be living that out. In fact, Jesus illustrated this in his own words at one point when he said to people, he said, you know, if you want to be saved, anyone who will be saved, your righteousness will need to exceed that of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees were another religious group at the time. That of the Pharisees and Sadducees, your righteousness will need to exceed that of the Pharisees and Sadducees in order for you to be saved. And, and the people that heard this knew that this was impossible. Because the Pharisees were full-time righteousness. That's all they did. And most people worked regular jobs and they, and they had other things to do and they couldn't do that. So they said the logical things. And who then could be saved? If the people who it's their full-time job to be righteous couldn't be saved, who possibly could be saved? And Jesus said, with men it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. He, in doing this, he illustrated the view that people would have of these very righteous, very holy, very religious people in their day. And so it's probably after a synagogue meal, a church service we, we, you know, for us, right? It's after a synagogue meal on the Sabbath that this Pharisee uh, wouldn't be um, unusual for him to invite the visiting rabbi to lunch at his house. It would be polite uh, for someone to do that. So this Pharisee, Simon, invites Jesus to come to his house for a meal. And they're in his house at a meal, but while they're there, this woman finds out he's going to be there. This woman that the Bible tells us everybody in her village knew had lived a sinful life. We don't know entirely what that means beyond that. But many scholars and interpreters think that she was probably in some, uh, some realm of prostitution or something. For everyone to know that she had lived a sinful and immoral life, it probably had to be uh, something to that end, something uh, as public and as private as that. And so this woman hears that Jesus is going to be there, and so she comes. And, and I don't know, you know, we don't have a lot of detail on the scene. We know that Jesus would probably be reclining at the table. That would be common in that day. So the reclining would be, uh, they'd be leaning in, but their feet, they'd kind of be laying on their legs and their feet would be stretched out behind them as, they, as they're at the table. And I don't know what happened. I imagine the conversation is going on as it does around any table at, the, at a big meal where people are present and, and after a serve, religious service, church service, synagogue service, right? And they're just talking and maybe they're talking about what the rabbi said that day or maybe they're just talking about the weather. But then there's this woman that everyone knows was a sinful woman and has lived a sinful life and she's there. And maybe... Maybe the conversation starts to stop when she goes behind Jesus, the rabbi, and she begins to weep. 
And this isn't weeping like that polite weeping that sometimes happens, you know, and you just kind of dab the tears away and things like that. She begins to weep in such a way that her tears are starting to drench and starting to wet the feet of Jesus. The, the, the scriptures say she was standing I think that's interesting because it says she was standing behind Jesus, right? So, so she's standing behind him and her tears are falling and starting to drench his feet. And she's starting to, you know, the, his feet are getting wet by her tears. And, and, and she has nothing to dry, dry the tears with. So she does what would be very indignant in that day to let down her hair in the presence of these men. And she lets down her hair and she begins to wipe his feet and wipe the tears off his feet. And then she takes this bottle of perfume that she brought, brought with her that if she was a prostitute undoubtedly was probably bought with those wages from plying her trade. And she opens this bottle of perfume and the fragrance fills the room. And she starts putting it on the feet of Jesus and anointing his feet. And she's weeping and the tears and the perfume combine on the feet, wiping it with her hair. And it must have been silent in that room because at least Jesus, probably someone else, heard Simon say to himself, how could he be a prophet? If he were a prophet, he would know who this woman is. And he would know she's a sinner. And the implication is that not only would she, he know that she was a sinner, but he would not allow this to happen. That he would not allow this woman to be touching him in this place he would not allow this to be going on. If he were a man of God, this would not be taking place. And it was out of a love that she had already received from Jesus that she did this. We don't know when this woman came to follow Jesus. We don't know when she was saved. All we know that it was prior to this time because otherwise the parable that Jesus tells doesn't make any sense. The parable he tells is the debt has been forgiven, and after the debt is forgiven, much love is showed. So at some point, this woman had either heard Jesus teaching or preaching or came in contact with Jesus and received forgiveness for her sins, and now she is overwhelmed by him being in her village, and she comes out against all protocol, against every religious law that there was, that she should not have been there. And she just throws that aside and comes into that place and weeps at the feet of Jesus. And she does this out of a love because she has been forgiven and experienced forgiveness in Christ. And she doesn't care what other people think. And she doesn't care what other people are saying about her. And she doesn't care that they, they think she's a sinful woman because Jesus is there. And then he says to her, you're forgiven. I think he says this, maybe he has to reassure her, but he certainly has to say it out loud for the people to hear. She's forgiven. And she's saved because of her faith in Jesus. Jesus says, you are saved, your faith has saved you. And for Jesus to say you're forgiven was outlandish. Because for someone's sins to be forgiven, they had to go to the temple and they had to have sacrifices made by the priest and they had to make an offering. But Jesus doesn't have any of this. He just, he just says your sins are forgiven because he's Jesus and he's God and he can do that. 
And so they know something is different and they know something is, is, is not right here. And then Jesus says, and your faith has saved you. And, and so I, I read this passage and you say, what does this have to do with church? What does this have to do with church? What does this have to do with our series on the church? And it's only this, one simple question. And it's really not complicated. In fact, as I said before, I didn't really know where God was going with this because he really just gave me this one question. And he just said, share this, share this question this morning. And this is the question I have. Why? Why did the woman, why did the woman abandon all this protocol, subject herself to all this indignity? Why did she do it to approach Jesus? but she didn't do it to approach the Pharisee. Why did she do it to approach Jesus, but not Simon? Simon's house was there all the time. He was a religious leader. He studied the law. He knew what was right from what was wrong. And yet she never had come to his house, I can't imagine, ever before. Because Simon certainly would have kicked her out because he knew the sinful woman that she was. He would not let her there in his clean, holy house. So why would she risk embarrassment? Why would she risk just, just all the scorn of everyone that saw her to come to that place when she heard Jesus was there? And I think I know the answer to it. I think the reason that she would do that is because while both of these men, Jesus and Simon, understood the truth about the woman, while both of these men understood the truth about God's word, while both of these men understood the truth about her situation, and certainly so did she, and apparently so did everyone else in the village. While they both and they all understood her situation, it was Jesus alone who not only came full of truth, but he also came full of grace. And it was Jesus, it was different than Simon because Jesus saw her and he saw her heart repentant and he saw her putting his, her faith in him. And when she did, he extended grace to her and he said, you're forgiven and your faith has saved you. And the thing that was so attractive to this woman, to, so attractive to, to this woman about Jesus, was that he extended not only truth, but he extended grace. I imagine if this woman had come to the temple, the court of the women, where the women could go when Simon was there, that perhaps he would have spoken to her. Perhaps he would have told her to change her way of life. Perhaps he would have told her that she's a sinner and needs to sacrifice and needs to, needs to turn away from her life. Perhaps he would have told her all that, but not in this place, not at this moment, not in this way. He had no grace. He had no love. He just wanted her out because she was a sinful woman. 
And yet she comes to Jesus and receives grace and forgiveness and salvation. And so as we talk about who God has called us to be as a church, I just look at these situations and I say there's the Pharisee who's very religious. And there's Jesus who is full of grace and truth. And I think we need to ask ourselves, will we be the church that is not just a place full of religion, but is a place of grace and about relationship with Jesus Christ? If you look at our vision statement in our bulletin, it says it. We've used the language a lot that we are not a people that is about religion. We are about a living relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's what I know about me, and I think it's probably true about you that the longer we are in church, the longer we are around the church culture, that the easier it becomes to distance ourselves from our past, our history, from what God has saved us out of, and the easier it becomes to distance ourselves from people who are in need and desperate need of that grace, the easier it becomes to become religious the easier it becomes to think that somehow I have done something good. That somehow I have added one iota to my salvation or sanctification. And the truth is we haven't. And it wasn't that Simon only needed to be forgiven little. Jesus' point was, you don't even understand how much you need to be forgiven. And if you did, then certainly you would be lavishing love upon me. And sometimes we can come in and we forget how desperate we are in need of God and his grace in our lives and how nothing can be achieved or accomplished apart from him, even our own sanctification. Paul says to the the Galatians, he said, are you now gonna finish in the flesh what was begun in the spirit? He says, "Who, who has bewitched you that you would believe such a lie? That's religious thinking. We're gonna make ourselves better somehow in our own strength. And I think this story reminds us that it's only the grace of Jesus that this woman's name can be changed from sinful to forgiven. And this morning, all I want us to do is to ask ourselves, will we be the church where people can come in the doors and experience forgiveness and salvation? Or will we be the church that people will think is full of religious people and they stay away because if they walk in, they're immediately judged, they're immediately looked down upon, they're immediately feel out of place. Or will we be the church that when somebody walks in and they look a little out of place and they look like they've never been here, or maybe they look very different than us, that we will run to them share with them about the forgiveness and salvation in Jesus that is offered, believing 
that that is offered to all who believe, believing that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved, believing that it is by grace through faith in this not of yourselves that you have been saved, believing the word of God that when Jesus says your sins are forgiven and your faith has saved you. Will we be the place where it's not just for people who look the part? Will we be the place where the adulterer who needs help and hope can come and find forgiveness and salvation? The man who cheated on his wife that gets you so mad the woman who cheated on her husband that you don't understand, will we be the place where they can find forgiveness and salvation? Man who looks at porn, hasn't been able to stop, will we be the place where they can find forgiveness and salvation? The immigrant that came to this country illegally and you have all kinds of political views here or there on it, but will we be the place where they can find forgiveness and salvation? Will we care about a person's souls at least as much as we care about our country's laws? Will we be the place where salvation and forgiveness Someone can come and find that in Jesus there's hope. Can God, will we believe that God can break any bondage? Will we believe that the pedophile can be saved and redeemed? The thing that in our society is the most unforgivable sin. Can God forgive and save? Not easy questions, but a place that I just keep remembering that that woman ran to Jesus and not to the Pharisee. And me personally, and I hope our church, I want to be the person that someone, when they're looking for hope, when they're looking for salvation, that they would run to me and not away from me. I want to be the church where someone would when they're looking for salvation and hope, it would be the place that they'd run to and not from. And again, full of grace and truth. It doesn't come because we compromise on the truth. A lot of churches or a lot of you know, religious organizations try that, right? We just, we'll just water down and forget the truth and more people will come. No, no, that's not the answer. Jesus was full of both. And we as a people will be full of both, full of truth, full of grace, Embracing in the place where people can come and experience forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to ask our music ministry just to come back up. The front of your bulletin, uh, you, you may think that's a strange picture. It kind of is. Um, it's, it's a metaphor that Tim Keller uses. And he says the church is to be a hospital and not an art museum. <laughs> and I just... It's, that, that metaphor sticks with me, right? I mean, the hospital is the place 
where you go when you are in need. The hospital is the place when you are sick. You, you don't go there because you want to go there. Nobody's like, I got some free time on my hands. I think I'll go by the hospital. That's, that's not what it's there for. It's there because you need to be fixed and you go to get help. And it's there to help sick people get well. And the church is so much more like a hospital, a triage unit where you come and you say, I, I, you know, I need something. And we would say, you know what you need? You need forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ and it's available to you. And just Jesus loves you and he died for you and you can have that through Jesus Christ and the cross. And it's much more like a hospital than it is an art museum where the curious and healthy and wealthy come and just comment and observe and walk out. The church is a place where we come because we need God and we need him desperately. I want to close out our service this morning with a chance for you to come to the altar with two calls. One is this. God, would you help me to find and see the little Pharisee in me? Because if you are a Christian and have been following God for any period of time, maybe it's just me, but I'm guessing it's true for you. There are places in my life and in your life where we start acting like religious people, where we start, where it can creep in because the enemy will do this. The enemy will try and creep into your thinking and your theology and try and make you think you're doing it on your own. You're standing on your own. He will do anything he can for you not to rely on God for everything in your life. And the minute we start thinking it's us is the minute we start becoming religious. The minute we start thinking it's in our strength is the minute we start becoming religious people who are just trying to keep these commands. But that's not going to save anybody because other people will come in and say, well, I just got to do what they're doing and act like they're acting. And we say, no, because God saved me and here's what he saved me out of. Because I, you know what, we got to start sharing our stories more with each other and stop acting like we were born this way and start sharing. This is what God saved me out of. This is where God, apart from his grace, that I would be completely and totally lost. And so would you. And so we've got to be a place where we share the stories with each other. And we share where God has called us and carried us out of so that someone else can come in and say, well, if God did it for them, they can do it for me. If God set her free from alcoholism, he can do it for me. If God set her free from an eating disorder, he can do it for me. If God set him free from gambling, he can do it for me. If God set him free from drugs or pornography, he can do it for me. And we share each other's stories and we talk about each other and we say, this is what God did because we are sinners saved by grace. See, the irony is that Simon said he would know she's a sinner. The irony is he knew that she was and that Simon is, but Simon couldn't see it in himself. There's that little Pharisee in all of us. And so I, maybe you'd come to the altar this morning and say, God, any inkling of religion, 
any inkling of Pharisee that is in me that wants to take any amount of pride in what I've done or who I am, instead of giving the complete glory to you, Lord, set me free this morning. The other call to the altar this morning is maybe you're here and you've sat in these services and you think because you've sat in these services that you're good with God. And you think because you sit beside someone who worships with all their heart and who engages with God and you leave feeling good and you think and, and somehow we've, and if it's me, I'm sorry, somehow we've led you to believe that that makes you a Christian, that that makes you part of the church. Or maybe you're here and you think, I just need to act in a certain way and clean myself up and that will make you more presentable and acceptable to God. And if I or any teacher or leader of this church has ever led you to believe that, then I'm sorry because it's wrong. If you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ just like this woman did and came to him and said, I want to put my faith for my salvation and for forgiveness of my sins in Jesus and Jesus alone. Apart from that, you do not have salvation. Apart from taking that step, it's not sitting in church. I don't care how many sermons you hear. It's not going to do it confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord that's how you're saved from your sins Jesus and so I encourage you this morning if that's you we've been preaching about the church for four weeks now the bottom line is the church is made up of people who believe follow and have their faith in Jesus Christ And if you want to be part of that church, it's not about sitting in this chair. It's about turning your life over and putting your faith in Jesus. And I encourage you, if you've never done that, this is the day to do it. That you would put your faith and trust in Jesus and in Him alone. And when you do, when you do, in that moment, to hear those words in your heart, you're forgiven and you're saved. And you say, well, you're, yeah, but I got to change the way I live and I gotta, you're going to make me do all this stuff because I know how you guys are. No, I'm not. Here's what I know. When you've been forgiven much, you love much. And the Holy Spirit that comes and lives within you and this word of God that you will read and live by, God will do the convicting God will do the shaping and the cultivating and you will have a hunger and a thirst for things that you have never had a hunger and a thirst for and things that were once attractive to you, I believe will become unattractive to you because God's Holy Spirit moves. And when you've been forgiven much and you recognize how much we need forgiveness, you live your life of love much. Would you stand? Father, come before you this very convicting word, knowing that your presence and your spirit is here, Lord. And it's just a single word. I feel like that's all you gave me this morning, Lord. I've been saying a lot of words, but it's a single word, and it's grace. Grace. Would you make us a people and a church of grace? Father, as we come to these altars this morning, will we hear your Holy Spirit Would you reveal anything in our heart that is an inkling of religiosity, Pharisaism, any inkling of pride in ourselves? Would you just reveal it? 
Would you take us back to our first love and our recognition of who you are and what you've done? And Lord, for that man or that woman who's in here today and this morning is deciding to put their faith in Jesus Christ, as they do that, and as they let you know this morning that they want to put their faith and their trust in you and follow you, that I pray that you will do just what your word says. You will come into their heart and dwell within them. And that you will do, you will refine them. You will cultivate their life and make them more into the image of Jesus, just like you did that woman who came in and people said, she's a sinner. And she went out and Jesus said, she's saved and forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Lead us as we pray. Minister to us today. Thank you, Father worship team is going to play. These altars are open. You know what the Lord is doing in your heart. You want to come, spend time in God's presence, allow Him to work in your heart.